Well, good morning, everybody. To those that are here, um, those that came with blankets and all that sort of stuff, it is a little chillier, right, as we had some nice weather and it's cooled off a little bit. And then those that are tuning in online, thank you so much for, yeah, just tuning in and just appreciate, obviously, all of you. And, and again, it's obviously a privilege every time, again, I get uh, an opportunity. So I thought uh, this morning I was going to start with some music trivia so the music trivia, you have to participate, otherwise it's just going to be like crickets in the background. So, okay, so I'm going to say some lyrics, and then if you know the title of the song or the person that wrote it, just shout it out. So, okay, so here's the first one, and, and Megan was like, you're going to sing these, right? And I said, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not going to sing these, so you're going to have to do best. So the first one is, whoa, my love, my darling, I've hungered for your touch. There we go. All right, we got the first one. Way to go. So that's the Righteous Brothers. Okay, so we got that one. Okay, next one. I don't need no money, fortune, or fame. I got all the riches, baby, one man can claim. Ooh, because I didn't give the easy line. Ooh, very close. It's actually My Girl by The Temptations. Okay, all right, and now let's move down in history a little bit. Here we go. And this, this one I would never sing because you can't do it justice. Maybe, maybe Camilla could get close here. But if I should stay, I would only be in your way. So I'll go, but I know I think of you every step of the way. Oh, Whitney Houston, that's correct. Good job. So, right, you think of the bodyguard there, right? Those are um, from the bodyguard. So, well, where am I, where am I going with this? I'll, uh, you know, the connection here will go. People are like, okay, what, what's going on here? But um, today I'm going to be talking about God's unconditional love, that it's not conditional. And we are wired for love. As we, as we heard in those songs about, you know, writing to someone that you love or somebody you care for. We're, we're wired, but our creator has designed us to love. And the thing is, is that we can choose what to love, right? And when we reach for other things to fulfill that, that need, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's work or, or play or, or the, the pleasures that this world tries to offer us. There's nothing in this world that can fulfill that hole. It will, it will all come up short along the road eventually. And so this morning, I, I want to take a look at God's perfect love. And so if we go through scriptures, there's tons and tons about God's love, isn't there? It's full of it. And so this obviously is, again, just a short list, and then we're, we'll take the, the main uh, passage that I'm going to go through. But again, I, I don't know if there's anyone that, we can't obviously skip this one, John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
And 1 John, if you look at 1 John, there's so many passages about love. And I just, I just picked one. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that, that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. And, and I was even thinking about the whole book of Hosea, right? A book that maybe we, we don't read often, but again, God just, just again, in, encouraging Hosea to marry somebody who just kept leaving him. And, tell, and he kept telling Hosea to go back and bring her back. It's an amazing story about God's unconditional love for his people. And so this morning, I, I want to focus on Luke 15, and Luke 15 is amazing story, stories about God's love. The story of the prodigal is what I'm going to focus on. But there's also the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and they all have similar points to make. It's, it's how much God will pursue his people even when they've turned their backs. Even, even if they go on running away from him. This love that is wild, that is untamed, it's, it's extravagant, God's love. See, his love isn't contingent on what we do or not do, the, the good or the bad. It's pretty remarkable. And so I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 15 and verses 11 to 32 is where we find the story of the prodigal son. And, I, and I've kind of summarized this kind of first section of, of this feeling of freedom. And so let's look at verse 11. It says this, and he said, talking about the son, he said to his father, he says, there was, um, uh, it just Jesus obviously is, is talking about this parable. And verse 11 says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. A young, younger one of them said to the father, father, give me the share of your property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And, and if you, again, paint this picture, right? You, you see the son, he's not happy with the way things are going. So he, he basically, he asks the father, you know what? Give me everything that, that I'm entitled to. This idea of, idea of entitlement. And again, if we, we look at the history of that, right? He, his father would have had to have passed away. His father would have been dead for him to receive those things. That's a pretty bold statement for him to demand those things from his father, even though he's still alive. Basically, right, dad, like I, I kind of wish you weren't around because I'm so unhappy with the situation. And I always find it remarkable about God's love that in this situation and with the father, right, his father allows him to obviously do this and make the decision. There's some free will there. And verse 13 says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he'd spent everything, a severe famine came across in that country and he began to be in need. 
So we see, right, the son, he goes on just with wild abandon, right? He just spends it all. Reckless manners. There's obviously this, this sense of freedom for a season. And I, and I often think of, right, the, the children's books, right, where, where it has him, like, partying. And, and I could just envision, like, hey, do you want a drink? Yeah, it's on me. Hey, do you want a drink? Like, this life of the party, right? And everybody wants to be around him. It's like, hey, this guy's just living it up. Like, let's, let's join in, right? Everybody's his friend. But as we know, the money runs out. You know that saying, easy come, easy go. And in school, we, we've been going through some stuff with my students about relationships. And, and um, they do a great job of just connecting with the modern modern songs and, and the things that are going on in society. And this one lyric that they quoted stood out to me, and, and it's from uh, Kendrick Lamar. This is his rapper, and he sings a song about love. And he says, he says this in, in one, of, uh, one of the songs that kind of, again, connects to this idea of the prodigal son. And he says this, he says in his song, if I minimized my net worth, would you still love me? And it just got me thinking about society and this idea of the, the prodigal son. And you know what? Everybody was connecting and his friends when he had what they wanted. And, and when the money runs out, they just leave. That, that did they really love him? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think, to me, that's the definition of love, Right? That, that it was conditional, that it was based on what they were getting out of the situation in the scenario. When, when times are good, I'll be by your side. But this idea of kind of connecting too to what Andy said about this fragrance, and I, and I like that, that, that we're looking for this, often we can look for this wrong fragrance. That, that the love that we search for, like the prodigal son was searching for, can dry up and go away. And, and again, I, I, at the end, we're going to pray for, for, you know, situations, scenarios like that. That maybe we're, right, we're enslaved or, or we're, we're looking at, for a love that, again, isn't God's unconditional love. Or maybe later on as, as we read about the older son. That, again, that this reawakening to God's love and his grace. That, that we, we would be lured into the Father's love. Consumed by the Father's love and not the things of this world. Let's move on to verse 15. 15 to 20, and this, this idea that the son comes to his senses, right? Verse 15 says, So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, 
How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I will perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So the son, he has no money. He has no friends. He doesn't even have food. How often can we, again, attach our, our, ourselves to this stuff and these things and, and feel like we've gained some, some sense of significance and value from those things? But when those things go away, we can feel like the sun. We're, we're devastated. And, and soon it be, becomes slavery, not sonship. We see him working for a citizen of the country he had moved to. He's, he's not being like a son, right? He's enslaved to that person, doing what they're telling him to do. And again, he's going through his head like, man, I had it good. I had it really good. And so what does he decide to do? He decides again, and he's kind of going through his head. He's like, I'm just going to go to my father, and I'm just going to, the definition I can have, like, grovel, Right? Just beg for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. But you see, repentance is believing that God is so good. And it's so good that this smallest enjoyment of his house or his presence is better than 10,000 worlds without him. And with that, we see the son heading back to his father. And there's so many great stories of, of people's lives where grace has been bestowed upon them. And, and I love the story in Les Miserables about Jean Valjean. How many, how many have seen or read the book or, you know, maybe the older ones in the 90s or, or the newer one, right? And so we see, right, Jean Valjean, he's sentenced to 19 years of hard labor of a crime for stealing bread. He's, he's become this hardened criminal, this convict, that, that nobody could beat him in a fist fight. And in those days, convicts, what they had to do is they had to carry identifying cards. And so, obviously, any innkeeper is going to ask to see the identifying card and, and not let him stay. And so, as he gets out of prison, he's, he's roaming the streets looking for somewhere to stay. He's, he's eventually wandering for four days in the village. Until finally, the kind bishop has mercy on him. And so that night, Jean Valjean, he's lying in the bed and and he waits. He waits until the bishop and the the sister, they fall asleep. And many of you maybe know the story. What does he do? He starts rummaging through the cupboards. And what he does is he finds the silver. And what he does is he leaves and he sneaks off into the darkness. But if you know the story, he doesn't get very far, does he? In the morning comes a knock on the door and and three police officers knock on the door with Jean Valjean. They have caught the convict in flight with the polished silver and the scoundrels in chains. 
And I just love what the bishop does in this story. Here's what he says. He says, so here you are, he cries to Valjean. I'm delighted to see you. Didn't you know, like, you, you've forgotten the silver candles as well. I, I gave them to you. Don't, did, did you forget them? And as you can see the picture in, in movies is Jean Valjean's eyes are wide. Like, what is going on here? That, that he has no words to convey what is just happening. That Jean Valjean is no thief, the bishop assures the guards. That the silver was a gift. The guardsmen obviously with, withdrew and the guest is left speechless. And here's what the bishop says again. He says, do not forget. Do not forget. And he says that you have promised, you will promise me to use this money to make you an honest man. The power of the bishop's act, defying every human instinct for revenge, changed Jean Valjean's life forever. And Philip Yancey summarizes this in What's So Amazing About Grace. He says, we are all accustomed to finding a catch in every promise. But Jesus' stories of extravagant grace include no catch, no loophole disqualifying us from God's love. Each at its core and ending too good to be true or so good that it must be true. And so we're going to see again how, how Jesus describes this in Luke 15, verse 20, this just lavish enthusiasm for the son coming home. And verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. I don't know about you, but for some reason, verse 20, the latter part is probably one of my favorite parts of scripture. And I'm not sure why. But every time I read it, there's just something that wells up inside me. That the father was a long way off and he runs to his son. Have you ever been a long way off? I know I have. Have you ever felt unworthy? I know I have. But God doesn't hold us at arm's length. The father in the story doesn't read him the riot act or say, you know, you should have done this or you shouldn't have done that. He didn't demand an explanation. He didn't ask for him to show, you know, and, and show his disapproval of his son. Like, how could you just waste away all that money that I gave you? Like, why did you do that? 
He doesn't do that. Jesus was obviously very purposeful in describing that situation. That his, that his father felt compassion. He ran to him and embraced him. And again, I don't want us to skip over that part too quickly. It's profound, isn't it? It, it goes against human instinct. But again, I know for myself, I, I'm so unlike God in so many ways, obviously. And that's a good thing. That, that we just feel God's love in that moment. God wel- welcoming the son, welcoming you and I into his love. That, that God clothes us in the robe. He gives us a ring. It's pretty remarkable. That again, this is the way God's love works. It's almost too good to be true. And again, to, to drive this point home, it is, there's a, a modern story that I, I love reading as well. And I often read it to my, my students when we're talking about this idea. And I've, I've cut some of it out just for time, but a young girl grows up on a cherry orchard just above Traverse City, Michigan. Her parents are a bit old-fashioned, and they overreact to her nose ring the music she listens to, and the length of her skirts. That night, she acts on a plan she has mentally rehearsed scores of times. She has visited Detroit only once before on a bus trip with her youth group to watch the Tigers play. Detroit is the last place parents will look for her. The second day there, she meets a man who drives the biggest car she's ever seen. He buys her lunch and gives her a place to stay. He also gives her pills that make her feel better than she's ever felt before. The good life continues for a month or two and then eventually a year. But after a year, the first shallow signs of illness appear. It's amazing how fast the boss turns on her. And he says, these days we can't mess around, he growls. Before she knows it, she's out on the street without a penny. One night as she lies awake, listening for footsteps, all of a sudden she realizes that she is no longer a woman of the world. She feels like that girl lost in this cold, frightening city. Something jolts her memory, a synapse of memory, about the blossoms blooming, uh, about her golden retriever chasing a ball back home in Traverse City. Why did I leave, she says to herself, and the pain stabs her heart. My dog eats better than I do. She sobs and, and she knows in a flash that she has to go home. Three straight phone calls, three straight connections with the answering machine. She hangs up, leaving no message the first two times. But the third time, she, she says, Dad, 
Mom, it's me. I, I'm wondering if maybe I can come home. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch the bus your way and I'll be there tomorrow about midnight. And if, if you're not there, I guess I'll just continue on the bus till Canada. She gets on the bus station to station, but then eventually, obviously, it rolls into Traverse City. Oh my gosh, she thinks I've got 15 minutes here to decide my life. She checks herself in the mirror and smooths out her hair, and, and she, she looks at her fingers and, and notices the, the burn stains and, and wonders if her parents will notice. As she enters the terminal and, and looks at the concrete walls, she looks a, uh, among these plastic chairs that are just sitting there. But the thousands of scenes that she's played out in her head, she never would have imagined what she sees there. Standing is a group of 40 brothers, sisters, great aunts, and uncles, grandmother, and guess what? A great grandmother to boot. They're all wearing goofy party hats and with noisemakers. They, they've hung a sign on the concrete wall that says, Welcome home. She stares out through the crowd, tears streaming down her face. Like, like hot mercury, she begins to, again, try to practice the speech that she's been practicing on the bus. And out through the crowd runs her father. Dad, I'm sorry. There's no time for apologies. You'll be late for your party. A banquet is waiting for you at home. I just love how this story, again, just sums up the love of a family, a love of the father for his children. That no matter what has happened, he, he runs to, he loves you so, so much. So much. That again, he's just calling us home to that embrace. And again, there's, there's still some more that we can learn from this passage. Verse 25. Now the older son was in the field and as he came, he drew near to the house and heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His, his father came out, but his father answered, he said, look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. You, you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you, you kill the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and, and that all is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your, your, your brother was dead, and, and he's alive. He was lost, and he was found. And again, I just think it's important to, to remind ourselves of the significance of what it was actually to eat meat. That it often wasn't consumed because it was so expensive. 
that not only was meat expensive, this fattened calf was something remarkable and special. That it was so special that the whole village would have shown up for that feast. That you see the older brother cares for the father's things and does not care about the father's heart. He, he can only see, again, that, that his share is now diminishing. That, that this perspective is it's unfair, Dad. Like, what are you doing? He has this, again, this feeling of, of being ripped off. That, that, again, the prodigal son had no leg to stand on. But by any measure of spiritual competition, he had failed. And that the prodigal son had nothing to lean on but grace. But again, God's love and forgiveness extended equally to the virtuous older brother, of course. But that too many comparing himself, that he was blinded about the truth about himself. You see, in both cases, we need the Father's love. You can can escape God's love by morality and religion, following the rules and, and being good, or immorality, giving over to all the desires of the flesh. We can find each ourselves on either side, depending on what season we're in. And so, in conclusion here, I love the definition of unconditional. No subject to any conditions. God's love is unconditional. It's more than you can think, ask, or imagine. It it doesn't depend on how good you are, how not good you are, how much you pray, how much you don't pray. If, if If you've messed up, if you've made mistakes. That, again kind of paraphrasing in Matthew 6 and, and, and 10, talking about, like, if he dress, dresses the lilies with beauty and splendor, how much more will he clothe you? If he watches over the sparrows, how much more does he love you and I? He loves you a lot. And, and I think I would just love to pray for, for freedom, for people that maybe in f- find yourselves connecting with the prodigal son. Or, or maybe you're on the other side. Maybe you've, you've done what is right for so long and maybe you're feeling kind of ripped off or, or jaded. That, that again, that we could pray for a reintroduction, a reawakening to God's love and grace for you and for I. And so I'm just going to, yeah, ask Mike to come up here and, and yeah, kind of lead us through uh, what he's feeling as well.